Good morning. I'm so glad to see uh, you here this morning and so glad that you have joined us online. Uh, just so excited uh, for this beautiful day, for the chance to uh, once again gather together. And I think it's so important that we remember why we do this. And this is why we share this statement um, every time. It's not just out of ritual. It's not just out of habit. It's not out of coercion or anything like that. But the reason that we gather together is because our desire is that we want everybody, we want everyone to experience God's unconditional love. Those who come, those who tune in and listen, those that we encounter throughout the week, we want people to experience the unconditional love of God. And we believe that that unconditional love is found in a person and that his name is Jesus. And that's why we talk about Jesus all the time. And you may come week after week and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm, I've heard enough, you know. All you guys do is talk about Jesus. Exactly. You've caught on. Because we believe that God's unconditional love is experienced in the person of Jesus and only in the person of Jesus. We, we believe that Jesus calls us into this relationship with Him. And He invites us in this relationship. And when we accept this free gift that he offers that we're going to talk a little bit about today, actually a whole lot about today, that, that we get to experience this unbelievable, unconditional love of God. And we have been in the middle of the series where we're looking at these claims that Jesus makes about who he is. We've looked a lot about the things that Jesus has done, but now we're looking at who Jesus says he is and all of these different claims that he makes. You know, we live in a day and age where we hear all kinds of claims, don't we? People who claim to be this or able to do that for you. We hear, uh, we hear claims of how products can do. In fact, I, I found a few examples that I would like to show this morning. Uh, maybe you're familiar with some of these. The first one is this. It's, it's Gerber Gentle Start Formula. I don't know if you've ever used the Gerber products or maybe you use the Gentle Start Formula. So the, the significance of this was the fact that the claim that they made with this formula was the fact that if you fed your child this formula, that they would no longer have food allergies. That's a pretty good claim, right? No peanut allergies, no milk allergies. Well, unfortunately, it turned out not to be true. Or, or how about this product? This is probably my favorite product. This is, this is Sensa Weight Loss Supplement. I don't know, did, any, did anybody try the Sensa Weight Loss Supplement? Okay, all right. So... The claim of this, get this, this, I love this, okay? I mean, this is marketing at its best, right? The claim of this product was this enhanced the flavor of food. And, and the idea behind the food flavor enhancement was that if you were really satisfied with what you ate, you would eat less. How, how does that work out for you? I know for me, when I find something I really like, you know, it's like the box of Oreos, right? It was there and then it's gone. Or, or maybe this is a more recent one. Maybe you're familiar with this commercial. These ads ran not too long ago. Got it, bro! What's this guy doing? Dude. Maniac. The mid-sized Nissan Frontier with full-size horsepower and torque. Innovation for doers. 
innovation for all. Now, now, just in case you went out and bought a Nissan Frontier hoping that you could push a dune buggy up a sand dune, what came out was the fact in this commercial they actually used wires to tow both vehicles up the sand dune. <laughs> and here's the problem. Here's the problem. We hear these claims and we see these ads and we hear people talk about themselves and what they can do for us and after a while we realize that all of those claims fall short and what that builds in us is cynicism over time we become cynical and we no longer know what to believe we no longer know what claims are true and what's right and so what we tend to find is when we come encounter something that's too good to be true we just reject it and the statement that Jesus makes about himself today is one of those claims that could be considered an outrageous claim because this claim, if it's true, you can't just say that Jesus was just a good person or just a good moral teacher. Jesus doesn't make room for that in this statement. It's the kind of statement that really, if this is true about him, it separates him from anybody else who ever has lived. So let me give you a little background into what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to be in John chapter 11, if you have your Bibles with you, or if you want to turn your phone on and follow along a little bit, and we'll get into the text here in a bit, but I want to set this up a little bit. We've covered this story already this year, um, but I want to reiterate it just in case you missed it. It's one of my favorite stories about Jesus, and basically what sets this story up is Jesus has been in Jerusalem, and he said something really inflammatory about himself to the Jewish people. He basically said that he and God are one. And the Jewish people pick up these stones, and they're going to stone him, and Jesus escapes Jerusalem. In fact, he goes all the way out in the countryside because his time hasn't come yet. And while he's out in the countryside and he's teaching his disciples, a person comes to him, and this person has been sent out by this group of siblings who are very close to Jesus. Their name are Lazarus, Mary and Martha. And the news he comes with basically says, Lazarus, is, Lazarus has fallen seriously sick and you need to come right away. Mary and Martha had sent this runner to find Jesus because they knew Jesus would be able to intervene and heal Lazarus. And, and, and Jesus assures this runner and assures his disciples that, that this that Lazarus is not going, this won't end in death, that this is actually going to bring glory to God. And then Jesus does something really, really strange. It, it, the text actually says this. It says that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, so he stayed where he was two more days. And you're like, what? That makes no sense. And just as an aside, there's a lot of times where we think that God should act or move in a certain way, in our certain time, and sometimes he doesn't always act and move exactly when he, we want him to. And so after these two days pass, Jesus says, okay, now it's time for us to go and see Lazarus. And Jesus knows that Lazarus has actually already died. And he shares this with his disciples. And he says the reason that he wants to go now and the reason that he's waited is that so they would believe that he is who he says he's been, he is, that he, he really has come from God. But I think there's something more that, 
he wants them to believe specifically about him, and I think there's more that he wants us to believe about him as well today. So we're going to pick up with verse 17 in John chapter 11, and it says this. On his arrival, so he's on his way towards Bethany where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha have lived. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she, sent, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Sounds like she's got a lot of faith in what, who Jesus is. I think she's maybe just playing a little lip service to who she thinks Jesus is. And we'll discover that a little later in the text. But I know that even now, I, you, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. You see, the Jews did have this belief that there would be a resurrection when the Messiah came, that those who had died would, would come back to life, come back from, from physical death. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me may never die. Do you believe this? Do you see what Jesus says about himself here? He, he doesn't claim that he's able to raise people from the dead. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Who can make that kind of claim? I, I think when we hear this, it, it really should cause us to pause. It should cause us to listen. And, and ultimately, I think what it does is it forces us to decide, is this really true? Jesus is basically saying, when he says, I am the resurrection, Jesus is saying, I bring what is dead to life again. Remember earlier when I said that this is what he wanted the disciples to believe? This is, this is the statement. They wanted, he wanted them to believe that he was really the resurrection and the life. They had seen him heal hundreds of people from different illnesses. The, the sight restored to the blind, the leper fit, the completely cured, the lame walk. But here he's telling them that he is life. And he brings that which is dead back to life just by who he is. It's one thing to make an outrageous claim. It's a whole other thing to prove it. And that's where the story picks up. We see two other, one group and one individual. Mary comes out and basically tells Jesus the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my, my brother would not have died. And, and the crowd of mourners that are gathered there, they wonder if Jesus had been here, surely Lazarus wouldn't die. In the midst of this, Jesus is also caught up and, and, and he weeps. And then we pick back up in John chapter 11, verse 38. He said, once Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. 
It was a cave with a stone set across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth across his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Wow, that's powerful. And I think sometimes when we read scripture, especially a story that we're familiar with, it's easy just to kind of glaze over it and just kind of read it as flat words on a page. I mean, immerse yourself in that moment just when they thought all hope was gone. Just when they thought it's over and just when they thought it's impossible. Jesus comes in and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And I think this story connects with all of our stories. Because I believe that Jesus still brings the dead to life. To understand the significance of Jesus' claim that he is the resurrection, we have to have a clear understanding of what sin is. More specifically, we have to have an understanding of what sin does. Oh goody, we're going to talk about sin this morning. Like I mentioned last week, Romans 3.23 says that all of us, every person who's ever lived and every person who will live, have sinned. And the consequence of that sin, the thing that we earn because we have sinned, is death. So, so what does this mean? What does this mean? You know, sometimes in, in, our, in our starting point group, um, the facilitator who leads that group is a preacher in Georgia named Andy Stanley. And he talks about, culturally, we don't like to talk about sin. And, and if you listen to what we use as substitute words sometimes for sin, sometimes we refer, refer to sin as a mistake. You, you hear this a lot when someone has been caught in something, right? Like an affair or something like that. They'll come on the TV, they'll say, I made a mistake. The, the problem with that is the fact that typically when you think of a mistake, it's an accident, right? I mean, you associate a mistake with an accident. It's like... I accidentally substituted salt instead of sugar when I baked that cake. That's a mistake. Or, or this week I was delivering a workbook to somebody for the starting point group and I wrote the house number wrong and actually delivered it to a neighbor's house. That was awkward. That, that's, that's a mistake. But, but the problem is, if we just equate sin as being a mistake, then all that's required is an apology. Just an, I'm sorry, I messed up. And the problem with 
categorizing as a mistake is mistakes are accidents. They're not intentional and they're not habitual. Or, or sometimes what we do is we, we see sin as this, these specific actions. And, and I'm not saying that sin isn't actions that we do. I'm just saying that sometimes we reduce it to these, just this list of specific actions that we will break down into different categories. And, and, and there are some not so bad ones and there's some bad ones and then there's some really bad ones. And what this does, then what we do is we break down kind of our lives and how we view other people. And there's, there's good people just with some issues. And then there's some bad people. And then there's some just outright evil people. And, and to use the language of this story, we treat sin like a sickness. And, and there's varying degrees from a cold to something drastically worse. And it's just something that we need to get over, we need to get past. And so if we see sin as a sickness and we go to the doctor for the cure, we just need to do better. Or somehow tip the cosmic scales to our favor by doing more good than we do bad. Or worse, what we do is we just say, well, at least I'm not as sick as that person. But this is not how God views sin. Romans 5 verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that one man being Adam, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin. So we see there's something being framed here as far as what sin is. Ephesians 2, 1, Paul makes it even clearer. He says this, As for you, this is you, all of us, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. You, you see, God sees sin as death. And using the analogy of the doctor, if you go to the doctor and the doctor diagnoses you as far as what you have, the diagnosis is you're dead. And here's something profound. Dead is dead. You, you can't be just a little dead. And sometimes we think that, that sin brings physical death. And it does. It causes us to physically die. But there's a spiritual death that happens with sin. Because when we sin, when we have sinned, it cuts us off from the source of life. It cuts us off from God. In fact, Romans, that, that same chapter in Romans 5.10, it says that we were enemies with God. It's like this. If I go out right now, and, and it, I don't even have to go out right now because it's happening. If I go out and I pull a leaf off of a tree and I set it on my table and it sits there for a week, what happens to it? It shrivels and dies, right? Because I've disconnected it with the source of life and that's what happened, has happened to us spiritually with sin. And like Lazarus, we aren't just sick in need of healing, we are dead in need of a resurrection. Let's pray. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> it's not that easy. You see, we talk a lot about the gospel. You'll hear us say the word gospel a lot here because we believe the gospel is, is everything. 
And really the word gospel means good news. And for it to be good news, it means there must be something wrong or something missing or something broken or something lost or something that's not the way it should be. Otherwise, it's just news. That's why understanding what sin does to us is so foundational. And why who Jesus is is good news. It's not good news, it's awesome news. It's great news. It's the best news ever. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus took the penalty for our sin. And he paid the price of the death that we deserved on our behalf by willingly going to the cross. And only Jesus, because he is the resurrection, could do this on our behalf. Those same chapters in both Romans and Ephesians make it very clear to us what this does. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, 6 and 8 he says this, You see... At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrated his, his, demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not after we worked our way towards Him. It's not after we sorted things out on our own and we cleaned ourselves up. It's not after we tipped the cosmic scale in our favor by doing good things. It's while we were dead, still powerless, Christ died for us. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 for 9. But he says, But because of his great mercy, because of his great love for us, God, but God again, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Transgressions is a fancy word for sin. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show us the incomparable riches of His grace expressed to us, expressing His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works as no one could boast. Just as, Jesus, just as Lazarus was raised from the dead and Jesus called him out of the tomb, Jesus is calling us out of being dead in our sin. Not just some future physical death, that's going to happen. When life is over, that's part of it. But we have that hope of eternal life because he conquered that physical death by his resurrection but he conquered the spiritual death that we've seen by the, blood on his by the blood on the cross. And that gives us the hope for life with God now. We have been reconciled with God now. We have been reattached to the source of life and restored and connected in this awesome relationship, the promises of relationship with God the Father. And this is worth celebrating. It's worth celebrating. I mean, if, if, if you believe this, this is worth celebrating. It, this is what true hope is. This is what true joy is. And, and contentment and fullness are all found in this. And you know the best part? It's freely available to anyone. That's what grace means. It's not something that we can earn. It doesn't based on status or, or how much you do. Because it's been done for us by the act of Christ on the cross. 
We, we just need to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the resurrection and the life. And he's the one and only son of God that he died for our sins. And he was raised back to life. And because of what he has done for us, we now are able to live for him and with him. It's the message of the gospel. Have you ever wondered what this was like from Lazarus' perspective? I mean, I, I have all kinds of questions, right? Just because this is where my mind works. I mean, did Lazarus know he was dead? What was the, what was the first thing he heard? Was his name? Was it come out? Did he hear the little prayer thing that was going on that Jesus prayed beforehand? I mean, did that process, what... You know, he'd been dead for four days. You know, your body starts to decompose pretty quickly. What was that restorative process like in his body? Maybe you're sitting here today and and you've never had the opportunity of really encountering this Jesus. And... And for you, maybe the way that this comes out is you're in a place in life right now where you just sense that something's missing. You don't know what it is. It just seems like something's off. Like, I, I don't know. I just don't feel fulfilled. Or, or, or maybe you just feel really, really empty. Like, every time you get that thing that you think is going to fill you, it just creates more emptiness. Every promotion, every shiny new toy, every relationship, it just continues to feel empty. You always wonder, is there something else? And and I think what that is, is that's that deadness starting to come back to life. Some people describe that emptiness or that longing like a God-shaped hole. I don't know if that's true or not. But there's something missing, there's something empty, there's something not complete. And I believe that that's the stirring, that's the voice that's calling Lazarus, come out. And if that describes you this morning, man, I'd love to, I would love to have a conversation with you. I would love to have a conversation with you. Or maybe, maybe you've been a part of this church thing for a while. And you, you come and you participate and you, um, you volunteer, you give, you know, all of those different things. But it just, man, it just hasn't like jived. And my hope for you is, man, this message connects to you in a fresh and new way. I hope that this ignites something in you and that excites you to realize it that you were dead and Jesus like made you alive in him that he gave you this amazing gift of life and reconnection to the father and that ignites something in you you know I think what's happened over these last 18 months is we've been lulled into something I really do 
I think we've been lulled to this sense of, of division and divisiveness, of distraction, of all of these things, and we've got our attention focused on all of these things, and we're missing the best thing. We've got to wake up. <laughs> Man, we've got to wake up, because what we are called to, this mission, this vision of we want everybody to experience God's unconditional love, this is real, this is tangible, this is eternal. Otherwise, what we do here, it's just a group of people who get together on a Sunday morning for some unknown reason. And we sing songs that don't really make sense. This should transform us. And the reason that we talk about Jesus and the reason that we constantly remind ourselves of the gospel is because we need that. I need this. Because it's so easy for me to get lost in every day. I get lost in the routine. I get lost in the, the challenges of life. I get lost in the same distractions and the same arguments and the same disagreements. I get lost in all of this. And what the gospel does is it brings us back to what really matters. And what we're all invited to. This is not a mission that's just for people who are on staff, and this is not a mission for people who are just shepherds, and this is not a mission that's just for people who have a specific calling on our life. This is a mission for all of us, that we are all called together to share God's unconditional love with everyone, that, that this hope is found in a person named Jesus, that this death from life transformation is available to people. That's what we're all about. And if we stop being all about this, then I'm out. And, and you should be out. Be, because that's what we're called to do. And that's what we are called to be. That's the other reason that we celebrate communion every week. Because we need to remember what Jesus' sacrifice on the cross means for us. That's why we have the cross here as a reminder of this sacrifice that he was the resurrection that gave himself for us. He was the perfect sacrifice. He did not sin. And he gave his life so that we could have life with the Father. And, and so we have the trays here in the aisles. And there are two cups. And one of those cups is bread. And that remember, reminds us that on that cross his body was broken for us. There were nails that were put into his wrist and into his feet. There was a spear that pierced his side. He bled and he died for us. And the juice reminds us of the blood that was sacrificed for us. And, and the irony of the fact that his blood gives us life. I, I can't think of anything else I would want to give my life to than sharing this good news of participating in this. And so we're going to celebrate this right now together. And so... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I don't think there's anything wrong with you getting around and moving while I pray. If you want to grab the elements, God still hears the prayer even if we move. I'm going to pray and thank Him for what He has done. And then when you are ready, I will ask that you would take this in remembrance of what He has done. That this incredible sacrifice it's an incredible mission and vision that he has invited us to be a part of. What an honor. What a privilege. What something that's worth giving our life 
do. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the hope that he gives us. Thank you for the life that he gives us. Thank you, God, that you are the resurrection and the life. 